The Red Sox end up adding at the trade deadline, surprising everybody a little bit. We talk with Hein Bloom, the Red Sox chief baseball officer, in just a little bit. We also check in with Jason Tatum as he is in the offseason but preparing for another Celtics championship run amid rumors that Jalen Brown may be traded to the Nets for Kevin Durant. We check in with Jason Tatum in just a little bit as well. This is the Press Pass. I am Chris Ryan. So to date, the Boston Red Sox have been a disappointment in 2022, which led many to believe that the Red Sox would be selling at the trade deadline. And that belief seemed to be coming to fruition when Christian Vasquez was dealt on Monday uh, at in Houston to the Astros, creating a bizarre circumstance there. So it seemed like the Red Sox may be going in a direction which Nathan Avaldi, uh, J.D. Martinez, and perhaps some others were traded. But that wasn't the direction the Red Sox went. And in fact, they ended up adding, bringing on Eric Hosmer to play first base, Tommy Pham uh, to play in the outfield. And the Red Sox have responded, winning their first series in a month down in Houston against the Astros. I talked with Red Sox Chief Baseball Officer Heim Bloom. Heim, was it your intention going into the deadline to you know make this team better for 2022? Or did the market kind of dictate you know, the direction that you had it based upon the asking prices for uh, current talent. Well, we were, you know, we were trying to get, get, uh, get greedy and do everything we could, um, you know, d- do the right things for the organization, the big picture and get better. Now uh, we'll see how this plays out, but you know, I think you could very well say stepping back and looking at it. And I say this with absolutely no dis- disrespect to Christian uh, who is an incredible catcher, but you know, also looking at who he brought in that even though the group looks different, um, you know, I do think we have at least as good a chance of getting the postseason as we did, and and I hope a better one. Uh, that was our intent. Uh, obviously, y- you can you can set out de- deadline week with a plan, and you still have to be able to take what the market gives you. And sometimes you can make the worst moves at the deadline uh, by trying to force something that isn't there. Uh, you, you can say uh, at the beginning of the week that you know we want to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, but if it shakes up differently, you have to still step back and and look at the merits of the move. And just because you may have envisioned something at the beginning of the week, if it's not there at the end of the week, uh, you need to take what it gives you. But at the same time, I, I do think we accomplished a, a lot of what we set out to do in terms of I think we have uh, a, a roster that I hope will be more functional than what we've seen uh, over these per- first four months, especially as we get healthier. I think we made the organization stronger going forward as well. How do you envision the future at the the catching position? Do you see the possibility of pursuing Christian Vasquez if available in the off season? And where do you you know, kind of see things beyond the twenty twenty two season? Yeah, you know, by rule, uh, you know, we're not allowed to talk about other teams' players uh, in that way. And Christian Vasquez right now is another team's player. Um, you know, we we certainly do not have. Uh, a settled picture going forward uh, at the catching position, but obviously with Christian's pending free agency, that was true yesterday as well. This past weekend, Jason Tatum, one of the biggest stars in the NBA, first team All-NBA, held his annual camp, his pro camp down in Foxborough, Massachusetts, had about 600 campers total, grades first through eighth, in two different sessions down in Foxborough, and took some time to talk with the media about the Celtics and keeping the core together and also some unfinished business. This amid rumors that despite what Brad Stevens, the uh, president of basketball operations, had told media and continues to say that 
he really likes the core of this team and feels that chemistry is so hard to gain and does not really want to make any moves that would change the chemistry but add to it. And so far, that's been the case. Malcolm Brogdon, Daniel Gallinari coming in to join the team. But there are rumors, and they have not been dismissed in a significant way, that the Celtics are in on Kevin Durant and have mentioned Jalen Brown during this process. We talked with Tatum about that. You know, we have a great group. We got guys that play well together. Uh, and that we, you know, we almost won a championship. You know, we went to game six. So, uh, you know, you just, when you go through battles and stuff like that with, with, with guys, you just become closer. How hard is it to find that chemistry? And now that you have it, how important is it to kind of keep it? Uh, yeah, chemistry is half the battle. I feel like, you know, you got a great team, a great talent. And not necessarily gel well together. Uh, and, like, you know, you guys saw we figured it out in January and, you know, never looked back. Also asked Tatum about the unfinished business and whether this offseason was a little bit different in terms of the desire to get back to the court. Yeah, I was more tired. Uh, it was just a longer season than I've ever played. Uh, but showed it feel good. I got enough rest. Uh, so my body feel really good. How do you approach that type of workload moving forward? Do you want to minimize it? Do you want to be, you know, better able to deal with it? Or how do you uh, analyze it? Uh, you know, you know what necessarily works well, and you know what you may need to change, whether it be something in a, the strength program or your diet. Uh, so I think just going through things and, you know, having that experience, you just learn from it. After a run like that, do you find yourself more you know, anxious to get back and get started with the group, or is it similar to past summers? Uh, it's a little different, just knowing that you know we got to a certain point and we were so close. So it's like two more guys, uh, two more. You know, it, it, excited to get back to that. You know, get back with the group. You know, because it was like we got unfinished business. What does it mean for you to be back with kids and to kind of return to your roots in the game? Uh, I always like doing these camps. Uh, just to see the excitement on their faces uh, when I come in, and uh, you know that's just it's just extremely pure. Uh, you know, it's just nothing but it's all about having fun, uh, and I think that's the best part. Of course, this was a very difficult week for Celtics and sports fans, as Bill Russell, one of the giants in sports history passed away at the age of 88. And Russell, of course, had a tremendous impact on the basketball court, winning 11 out of 13 championships in his time in Boston with the Celtics, but also was an absolute integral figure in the civil rights movement. Bill Russell passed away at the age of 88, the greatest all-time winner, in my view, in sports history. Also passing away was Vin Scully, basically the voice of baseball. You think about any signature moment in baseball history, almost any signature moment in baseball history, and Vin Scully is right there, the guy on the call in those moments. So two incredibly significant figures in sports history passing away within days of one another this week, Bill Russell and Vin Scully. Back to the Red Sox for a moment, and Hunter Renfro Kyle Schwarber were two guys that the Red Sox let get away in this offseason. Renfro traded for Jackie Bradley Jr. and two minor leaguers. And Kyle Schwarber, not really given a competitive offer from the Red Sox to stay with the team. Schwarber, of course, leads the National League in home runs. Hunter Renfro made Red Sox fans even more remorseful that he was let go with two home runs this past weekend and a 4-for-4 game 
on Sunday. He's been out for pretty much half the season, but still has 19 home runs. For the Brewers, I talked with Hunter Renfro. Joined by Hunter Renfro back at Fenway Park for the first time since last season. What's it been like? Uh, it's been fun, you know. Obviously, it's always great to be back here and and uh, to see everybody that you know from last year cause that I didn't get to talk to after the, the lockout or, or during the lockout and stuff. So obviously, so uh, obviously good to see Heim and 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 hadn't seen Alex yet, but hope to see him soon. So uh, it's been great. You know, the fans obviously were incredibly welcoming, and and uh, it's great to see the, all those guys come out. How did the the trade hit you? And is it kind of in the fully in the past at this point? Certainly, fans were surprised that you went happy that Jackie came back because he's so popular but how did it hit you and has it kind of gone away yeah I mean it's kind of gone away now but it was it was very surprising I, I honestly did not expect to get traded and and um, obviously it's, it's great to be here with the Brewers it's kind of who I wanted to be with for a while uh, obviously I enjoyed my time with the Red Sox and and uh, did and didn't really want to go anywhere obviously I really want to be back here last year and or this year, and, and uh, incredible run we went last year. So I wanted to be able to hopefully continue that on to the World Series. But uh, obviously, God had new new plans for me, and and Haim did too. So um, you know, obviously, like I said, Jackie's done an incredible job for the Red Sox throughout the year. So uh, I'm sure they're happy to grab him back. How closely have you followed the team this year? I mean, certainly fans have missed Kyle Schwarber. They've missed you. The record's been what it's been. Uh, what has been your take on you know what the Red Sox have looked like this year? Uh, I mean, I, I mean, it's honestly hard to say. Obviously, I just keep up with the guys and keep up with everybody still. And and uh, but it's I think it's more than anything. It's just like just injuries. I mean, you obviously you got guys going down left and right with just minor stuff that's it's nagging. And obviously, I was one of the guys too. I got I was been out probably about four weeks this, this year already. So. Um, you know, Chris Sale going down hurt again, and obviously with a broken finger, and KK, and, and then Tristan Story, and, and it's kind of like an ongoing deal. Like you can't have your big guys going down like that uh, that often and, and win a whole lot of games. So, and uh, honestly, with the Brewers, we had the kind of same issue. We, you know, we had two of our starting guys go down uh, pretty early on, and and uh, me missing time, Willie missing time, and it's kind of like we've been trying to struggling, and and uh, finally we got to get back everybody here lately, and we've been winning a lot of games, but. Um, it sucks. I know it's how, how it is. As you mentioned, it, it felt like that team last year was building, right? That you had kind of some unfinished business coming back yeah. this season. Was that the, the toughest part? Obviously, you're happy with you know the change, yeah. but the toughest part is that it kind of how that the end of the year hit you with the team not not hitting the way it wanted in that Astro series. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, it was kind of one of those things where a few guys had slumps. Obviously, me being one of them, I was hitting well until that point, and and I was kind of have a little bit of a slump the Astro series and. And uh, and a few guys didn't hit like they wanted to, and, and obviously their pitchers were incredible, even you know, even though, and and our guys did what they could, but um, you know, it, it was tough for us. You know, we, we felt like we definitely could have matched up with Atlanta very well uh, in the World Series if we would have made it. So um, it's always disappointing, but you know, we really feel like we could have gotten better this year if I was on there. Obviously, that's what I was what we were thinking, you know, and and uh, we had unfinished business, and but uh, obviously, like I said. I've had different plans. God had different plans, and and uh, I'm, I am where I am. Hunter, great to see you. Hey, thank you. Great to see you, bud. Appreciate it. The Red Sox goal seems to be one of trying to, but at this point not being able to, create sustained compatibility. What does that mean? That means making the playoffs each year, kind of like the Rays or the Brewers or the Houston Astros and competing for a championship every now and then. And the reason it's been presented for that is – from John Henry, revenue. 
right? That if there's no dips and val- there's no dips and uh, mountaintops, there's just consistency. The fans will continue to come out to the ballpark and purchase uh, merchandise and all the things that go along with the ballpark in a more consistent basis. So that is what Henry has won. I even remember in the parade after they won 2018, I was at Fenway Park and I talked with Henry and I asked him about the success, which was amazing at that point and still is winning four world series in 15 years as the owner of the Boston Red Sox, which many people thought was unimaginable prior to 2004 winning one world series was unimaginable at that point. But Henry continued to talk about revenue and the importance of revenue and remaining competitive over a long period of time, which I thought was interesting. It's also interesting that Henry is kind of a villain around here when you would think that the individual that, again, was the owner that brought four World Series championships would be beloved, a hero, and he's somehow managed to screw that up. Anyway, uh, Christian Yelich is a key part of the Milwaukee Brewers who have that aspect of sustained compatibility. Uh, so I wanted to ask him how they've done it. Yeah, Christian, just why do you think this team has been able to have the, the competitiveness it's had over your time here with the group? Uh, I think just a lot of really good players and a good culture and understanding like what it takes to win games. And um, You know, we've had a lot of interchangeable pieces over the years, but we've also had, you know, a, a decent core that's been around and we've had really good young starting pitching that's, and uh, good back end of a bullpen that, it's a, it's a good formula to win games. Yeah, the Red Sox have been looking for what you guys have. They won the championships, but they want to have that sustained competitiveness. As a core, what do you do as one of the leaders to kind of create the environment where everybody can have success? Uh, I think it's just holding each other accountable. You know, there's a standard, and then you have to hold each other accountable to that standard of, of winning. And once you've won and know what, how to win and what winning looks like and um, sounds like and feels like, then um, you know anything less than that shouldn't be tolerated. And um, it's not like it's a it's a culture where everyone's constantly yelling at each other. You know, it could take guys off one on one. But hey, like, I know you might have felt like that or this happened, but it's, it's not what we're about, and it's not what we're going to do. And it's not like a whole blow them up in front of the group thing. It's just a side conversation or. Um, whatever it may be, but just holding each other accountable to those standards, it doesn't always go your way. You know, you go through tough stretches during a season, but um, I think guys that have been here and weathered it and been on teams that have won close to 100 games or been in first place, and you don't really um, ride those highs and lows. Like, you understand what they're about and then just how you got to correct them and just no panic, and that starts from counts on down. Final thing, how has Hunter Renfro either added to or supplemented that culture? Uh, I mean, he's just a really good dude and a really talented player and um, a guy that really wants to win and he's obviously super talented. You know, he's got really good really good power, really good outfielder, um, saves a lot of runs with his glove, his arm, and just a good teammate, man, somebody that fits into our group, and um, we've loved having him so far. Christian Yelich right there. Let's go in our Legends segments right now. Two Legends on the show today. We're going to start with the great Johnny Bench. Joined by the great Johnny Bench as he signs autographs here in Cooperstown for Hall of Fame weekend, courtesy of HallOfFameSignings.com. And, Johnny, your feelings generally about David Ortiz going into the National Baseball Hall of Fame and what it means? Well, for anybody. I mean, uh, it's got to be most exciting time in David Ortiz's life. Baseball career was, was fabulous, and he's got an opportunity now to join the greats of the greats, and 1% of 
of all ball players who ever played. So uh, he's going to be excited. Everybody's going to talk about his how strong and tough and everything else, and he's going to be up there crying like a baby because I can just tell you it's a very emotional thing. What does it mean to be a Hall of Famer, and particularly what does it mean to come back this weekend when you get to share stories? And you've mentioned before how things have changed for you. You used to be that guy that was asking, you know, Mickey Mantle and other folks about what it was like, and now you're kind of the guy that's bringing other people in. Well, it's been 33 years for me, so it's it's kind of like I get pretty used to what's going on, but you're still excited to the for every time you drive into town and the opportunity to see see all the guys together and then when we have the big dinner on Sunday night there's nothing like it it's it's amazing to see the guys get their rings uh to get their little plaques they uh they're humble uh and they're nervous I mean you still feel like a rookie no matter what and you know you talk to a couple of guys now about their difference in one year to the next year you know Larry Walker talked come about how now finally he can breathe you know he's not taking everybody and not having to worry about anything but soaking in all of the wonderful things that happen up here. Fans always have arguments about, you know, who's the best this and which era was the best. And I'm curious from a baseball player's perspective, as they debate your accomplishments, your era and everything else, you know, what is, what is that like? And do you and can you compare yourself to players from other eras or other players from your era to today? Well, as I was always told by the old-timers, the greats would play for the at all times. You know, you you're great. You're going to be great. You have a level of expertise, a level of talent that you're going to always accomplish, no matter what era you were played in. I, the guys in the '50 Mantle and Mays, they would play in any era, and I feel like I would have played in any era as well. But you know, there's adjustments, there's times to change the analytics and all the shifts and everything else. But it's uh, it's all. You know, when you get down to it, Hall of Famers are Hall of Famers, and they stand out exceptional. When you watch the game today, do you play along and you're facing, or think about yourself facing you know, Clayton Kershaw, what would I do in this at bat, or do you just kind of watch the games to watch the games? I, I just watch. I don't watch that much. I mean, I, I'm more of a uh, watch the box scores more than anything else. I see guys, and I watch the All-Star game, see how hard these guys throw and the and the uniqueness in their deliveries and how big and strong they are. And, and I just wish, you know, it, we would have had a chance to work out and do some of the training that these guys had. And we wouldn't have been injured as much, but you can't pull fat. So I want to ask you a little bit as well about the state of the game. As Ozzie, you know, talked a lot about, you know, the way things have changed, the way things are different, and, you know, the analytics, the role they've played in the game. Same thing for Eddie Murray and other guys, even Cal Ripken. Do you see yourself in that mold, or can you enjoy the game and the talents of these guys just for what they, they are, or do you find some frustration in the way it's changed? No, I don't mind. I, I'm, I'm a guy that's going to go to the ball game, get a hot dog, a beer, and sit back and watch the game and enjoy what's going on. And, you know, you'll see guys play. You'll be amazed at how their athleticism. I think that's the best thing. Most, the biggest change is the athleticism of the player, the catches they make. Uh, you know, I'm, the shift. Well, the shift is a shift because the guys can't hit the other way. I mean, I just, you know, that in itself is kind of frustrating to the fact that why don't they make the adjustments? So, I don't really have a problem. Final thing: so many catchers struggle with the balance of all the things that the job requires. Whether it's you know hitting, uh, controlling the pitching staff, and it's difficult for them to do all those things at once to a great level of success. You were able to to do that. How were you able to kind of compartmentalize aspects of the game in order to make sure that you were always where you needed to be from a, a mental, physical standpoint? 
I could hit and I could catch. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of difference in all of this. There's, a, there's only 15 catchers in the Hall of Fame. You only get one one every 10 years. So that's a Hall of Famer. So it's, you know, the uniqueness of it all. These guys all can catch. You know, some of, them, some of them have hit and couldn't catch. But, you know, the combination of it, it's just trying to find somebody that can do both. And, and it's, uh, it was just one every 10 years. And you see the greats come along. They'll be great. Guy can hit and catch uh, stands out. Mr. Bench, appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Joined by one of the great all-time closers, Goose Gossage, courtesy of HallOfFameSignings.com in Cooperstown. And, Goose, you were one of the most intimidating pitchers of all time. Now, was that always the case? Like, when you were in Little League, were you intimidating? Or did it come along, that type of mentality that it takes to pitch like that? Well, I think, uh, you know, I, this is it in a nutshell. My mom read an article when I was with the Yankees, and I said, if my mom walked up there, I'd drill her. And my mom read that article, and she said, did you really say that? You would really drill me if I came to bat? I said, Mom, if you had a bat in your hand and you walked up to the plate, I'd drill your ass. Now, would you really have drilled her? You oh, yeah. That? No, no, that's what, that was the way I was. And uh, anybody with a bat, and, you know, you either eat or you get eaten. And um, fear, you know, the the... You know, the fear of failure, the, you know, failure was not an option. So, uh, failure was not an option. So, um, that was just the way I was. When I went between the lines, something happened to me. Were you ever intimidated by a hitter? I read your book and you mentioned, you know, the battles you had with George Brett. And there was a time, he, he had your number, basically. But... Was there ever a batter you were intimidated by straight up? Well, I mean, I faced the greatest hitter I ever faced in my prime and his, and that was Brett. I don't think he had my number. I got him out a few times, too, that nobody knows about or even thinks about. All you think about are the home runs. But I just tipped my cap, man. I, he was the he was the most prolific hitter. I got a lot of guys limping at the end of their careers, like the guy that's going in the induction inducted this weekend is uh, Tony Oliva uh, so Henry Aaron I faced at the end of his career so I caught a lot of the greats limping so to speak I they couldn't catch up with my gas when I was a young kid you know so um, but Brett in, in his prime and my prime was the greatest hitter I mean who's the last guy that flirted with 400 and you know he's a Ted Williams esque kind of hitter you know one of the greatest in the world has ever seen you brought up one of the really challenging aspects of being a closer and it's that you know reporters people like me they think of the ones that you gave up and not all the the great saves you had the consistency that you have how do you deal with that as a closer where the fans are like you know goose gave up this goose gave up that but they don't talk about the nine out of ten times you closed it out no but i i say i'm proud of those home runs you know that, that that also goes along with the with the good stuff. You know, I mean, giving up home runs, you got to tip your cap to these guys. They're they're great hitters, you know, and and um, you just got to tip your cap and give them credit. And I said it in my speeches. I say I had the <clears throat> I had the kind of career that even the home runs were great. So you know that's how you have to look at it and. And if I'll set you straight, too, I wasn't a closer. I was a relief pitcher. Closer wasn't even a word back then. 
No, that's yeah. true. But do you that's you don't consider inning. you don't consider yourself you don't consider yourself a closer even no. though you extended beyond no. the one inning. No, no, I was a relief pitcher. Yeah, and a, and a damn good one. Don't you know it's apples and oranges what I did and what these closers do mow and on down. You know they're one inning guys. We came into the you know when that starter here it is back we'll just back up a few more backups. Um, starters still prided themselves on finishing what the hell they started. Now everything's upside down. Closers relievers. That's why it takes four hours to play a game today. You know, they start 100 pitches. Why would I put 100 pitches in your brain? All it is, it's debilitating. They don't even train these kids right anymore. The whole game is upside down, just like our, our, our government. So, you know, there it is.